I hope you've enjoyed our start to the year. And maybe if you've got a path book, um, if you haven't grabbed one, they are up the back on the table. And we would love you to get one today. Even if you're just visiting, would you take one of these? And we, our hope is that it blesses you. Uh, we are in this uh, series on discipleship, which is actually our theme for 2022. We're going to spend this year looking at discipleship, uh, considering how, as we saw in the first week, that we can actively pursue spiritual growth. That's such a significant thing. It's such a, an important part of the Christian uh, journey. Uh, it's something that sometimes we don't necessarily think about. We, we come to church, we uh, engage with, with different events, we even read our Bibles um, and pray, and, and in doing so, we are certainly drawing close to God, and that's such a significant thing. But there is uh, the importance of being uh, really practical and really intentional about pursuing growth in our faith, because we often kind of just think that happens, but we know that it is something that we need to prioritize and pursue, and that's why we have printed these booklets, because they're not the only way, but they certainly are one way that you can be intentional about growing this year. I know that our Connect groups um, spent some time on Thursday um, looking into them, and I'd encourage you, uh, if you're not in a Connect, to consider um, doing that. It's, it's once a week. We have two in person and one online that meet on a Thursday night. But I'd encourage you to consider doing that. Once a fortnight. Did I say once a week? Once a fortnight. <laughs> I thought once a fortnight said once a week. So we'll see how the sermon goes. Um, but they meet once a fortnight. And so I encourage you to think about getting involved in that. And we're looking over the coming weeks at this idea of the discipleship path. The discipleship path. And path is a really lovely acronym for these eight areas where we can and we should be intentionally pursuing growth. Last week, Pastor James looked at the P, the first aspect of the P, and the P stands for participating in God's family, um, God's story, and, and Pastor James looked at evangelism. And if you weren't here for that, I'd encourage you to catch up with that online. But I was thinking this week about this whole idea of participating in God's story. For those of you who were here a couple of years ago, we actually did a five-week um, overview of Scripture. It was a very ambitious series. We spent five weeks going from right from the start to the end of the Bible and looking at some of the um, ideas, the big picture things. But what we saw is that often we think of uh, Scripture as 66 kind of discrete books that you start one, you read through it, and then you jump to the next one. And, and we don't necessarily intentionally Trace that single narrative that is interwoven through Scripture, which is really God's story. And that story begins, we know right at the start, where we see God create the earth and he creates humanity. We see us rebel against him. And we see from that point onwards, this narrative of God's plan to send his son, Jesus, to live and to die and to rise from the dead, uh, to set us right with God to give us a path back to him. One of the key things in that series all that time ago was that God's story continues. And if God's story still continues, you know, we've, we've reached the end of scripture, we've read the last page of Revelation, and then we think, well, what next? You are part of that, what next? You are, have a role to play, and that's quite a daunting, challenging thing. 
And I reckon it's, it's challenging for two main ways. The first one is that many of us think that God may might use people who are, who are more talented, more holy, uh, better looking perhaps, more able to uh, talk in front of crowds. We, we have this image of the people that God would use and, and almost always it's someone other than us. And I'd say to you that we look through scripture again and again and again and God uses the seemingly least able. He uses those who have trouble speaking. He uses those who have little education. He uses those whose hearts are set on him. And the other reason why I think this is a challenging thing, the reason why I think we find this idea that I have a part to play in God's story confronting is because it means that there's something actually greater, something grander at work than my plan. And that can be confronting because it forces up us to think and to consider whether or not there's some realignment, whether there's some reshaping, whether there's some reorienting of our priorities that needs to take place to ensure that we are living in alignment with God's plan, God's purpose, God's story, and not necessarily our own. And so today we're going to continue on in this part of participating in God's story. And we're going to look at this second topic, which is service. And I'd say to you, most of us could probably sit down and if grilled on this, give a reasonable um, uh, summary, a reasonable overview of what service is and what that should look like in the life of the Christian. We could probably do that, but I'd say to you this morning, and this is where we're going to spend our time, is that service, the way that Jesus teaches and demonstrates, actually requires a very different way of thinking to what we're used to. And the reason I say that is because of our sinful nature and because of our society, we are surrounded by a culture that fiercely praises individualism. That you've almost reached the pinnacle that you can in society if you don't need anyone else. If you have amassed enough wealth, if you've got enough connections, if you've leveraged lots of different things so that you are self-sufficient. We see that, don't we, in uh, those people who love prepping. Now, there's nothing wrong with doomsday prepping. People enjoy that and they hoard all kinds of things. And, you know, <laughs> certainly an interesting conversation to be had. But uh, it really what our drive is, there's this compulsion in our society to be self-sufficient, to have everything I'm ever going to need so that I don't have to rely on other people and other people don't have to rely on me. But we actually see as we look through scripture, which we'll do this morning, that this idea of service as part of God's family is radically different. And we're going to start this morning in Luke chapter 4. And so I'd encourage you uh, to open that up if you've got it. The words will be on the screen here. Oh, sorry. There we go. It says this in Luke chapter 4. As Jesus has um, come back to Nazareth, his hometown, the place where he grew as a boy, and he goes into the synagogue as, as Jewish people did uh, on the Sabbath. And the normal practice there was that they would open up the scrolls and various people in the synagogue would, would read it. And on this day, it's fallen to Jesus' turn to read from the scriptures. And he gets up and he reads this um, passage from the prophet Isaiah. Uh, you'd find it in your Bibles in Isaiah 61, but here we have it uh, from Jesus' mouth in Luke chapter 4, and it says this, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me, for he has anointed me to bring good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim that captives will be released, 
that the blind will see, that the oppressed will be set free, and that the time of the Lord's favour has come. He rolled up the scroll, handed it back to the attendant, and sat down. All eyes in the synagogue looked at him intently. Then he began to speak to them. The scripture you've just heard has been fulfilled this very day. There's really two remarkable things that are going on here. The first of those is that Jesus stands up in front of the Jewish leaders and the Jewish people in Nazareth and he declares who he is. He declares this um, prophetic um, proclamation from Isaiah of the Messiah that is to come. And he says, this prophecy has been fulfilled right in front of you. I am the Messiah. But the second really remarkable thing, and I wonder if you saw it there, is he doesn't just declare who he is. He declares who he has come from. And this is a radical declaration. If you have a look at it, in a world where the wealthy hold the power, they hold the influence, they hold the significance. In fact, if you don't have power and wealth and significance, importance in society, you are really considered worthless if you don't have access to resources, your life is under threat daily. Jesus says, not I have come to bring good news to you, the powerful religious people, but rather I have come to bring good news to the poor. In a world where slavery was a huge part of the social fabric, it was a, an economic institution, it was um, something that was promoted and endorsed. And in fact, at this, at this point of history, they, they said there was more Roman slaves than there were Roman citizens. In a world where everyone was one tragedy, one um, sickness, one bad financial decision away from slavery. In that world, Jesus declares, I have come to proclaim that the captives will be released. In a world where the religious system told people that if you are sick, if you have a disability, that this is because of your sin. And if not because of your sin, it's because of your parents' sin. So much that if you had any of those things, if you were sick or disabled or a number of other things, you were considered unclean, you were considered unholy, you were shunned by your own family, you were shunned by the temple. In that place, Jesus speaks to the heart of that and he says, I have come to declare sight to the blind. And in a world where oppression was an everyday reality for the people, the Romans used their military might, their power, their political institutions, uh, their wealth, their authority to oppress the Jews. And the Jewish religious leaders used the uh, laws that they had constructed and made up to oppress the people. It's a world where oppression was the reality for, those, the, for women, for the sick, for the lame, for shepherds, for tax collectors, for so many other groups that we, say, we could see. Jesus says this, he says, I have come to declare freedom for the oppressed. Isn't that remarkable? In the midst of this Jewish synagogue, he says, I am the Messiah and my heart is for the people that you don't care about. My heart is not for the religious people who are surrounding me who think that they have been made worthy by their following of the law, but my heart is for those of you that you ridicule, the captives, those that are crippled or blind, the people that you shun and oppress. What an incredible thing that is. But you see, he doesn't just leave the teaching in that moment. We see this thread all through the Gospels where Jesus teaches this truth over and over again. You recall the parable of the Good Samaritan, where Jesus makes the hero of the story a Samaritan, a person that, uh, a person that the Jewish people hated. 
And Jesus makes this point that your neighbor is not the person that looks like you, is not the person that is the same as you. In fact, your neighbor is anyone who needs your help. What about the parable of the lost sheep? You probably know it, where Jesus tells this story of the shepherd who goes looking for the one lost sheep. And in doing so, he makes this point that everyone has intrinsic value in the eyes of God. And I think today that we know that, we've heard that, but at the time it was radical because they had so many people that they thought were completely unworthy in the eyes of God, that had no value in God's eyes. And yet Jesus makes the point that the heart of God is not to go after the lost one to punish them, but the heart of God is to go after the lost one that they might be rescued and that they might be saved. What about the Sermon on the Mount? Where Jesus says in Matthew 5, he says, You have heard the law that says, Love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I say, Love your enemies, pray for those who persecute you. And Jesus says here, The people that you despise, the people that treat you wrong, the people that you have got no hope of ever doing you good, I want you to love them. I want you to pray for them. What an incredible thing that is. There's then this moment in Luke chapter 20, where Jesus and the disciples are standing at the temple and people are bringing their offerings. And, and the story tells us that these wealthy people come in and, and pour their coins and pour their wealth into the offering plate. And this little widow comes through and she drops in two tiny coins. And who does Jesus praise? He praises not the wealthy who have given lots, but he praises the poor widow, the one who would have been shunned by the others because she is the one who has given the most, because she has given out not of plenty, but out of not much at all. Well, we might say, and I think it would be reasonable to ask the question, well, that, that's great, but Jesus is, is talking in metaphors here. He's talking about the spiritually poor, the spiritually oppressed, the spiritually blind and the, the spiritual captives. Well, yes, he's certainly talking about the fact that the path to salvation is through him and that door is open for everyone. But it's more than that because we actually see throughout the Gospels time and time and time again, Jesus' practical action that extends far beyond just words. What does he do over and over again? He reaches out to help the downcast. He reaches out to help the lost and the broken. We don't have time this morning, but if we went through it, uh, we would see that Jesus touches lepers. Something that you didn't do. Lepers were um, thrown out of the town. They were made to stay in, the, in caves, in mountains, in groups. But he touches them. He doesn't just go up to tax collectors and speak to them. He goes to their houses to eat. The people who were seen as the worst sinners, Jesus goes to their houses to eat. He, he doesn't just heal the blind from a distance, but he touches their eyes. He meets and drinks. Remember we said a Samaritan, someone the Jewish people hate. He, he meets and drinks with a Samaritan woman, a, a woman considered so sinful by her own people. But not just that, he doesn't just meet with her, but he asks her to draw water for, for him and he drinks from the bucket of a Samaritan woman. What an incredible thing that is. What else does he do? He embraces children and he embraces women. And this morning, these are all things that righteous people didn't do. These are all things 
The religious law said that if you touch someone that is unclean, then you too become unclean. And yet Jesus goes around and he, taught, and, he, and he does these remarkable things. But more than that, he calls for us to do them too. He doesn't just say, it is enough, I'll just go and I will solve every need. But he calls to us to do it too. If you turn with, you, uh, with me in your Bibles to Matthew 9 and, and verse 35. says this, Jesus traveled through all the towns and villages of that area, teaching in the synagogues and announcing the good news about the kingdom. And he healed every kind of disease and illness. When he saw the crowds, he had compassion on them because they were confused and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. He said to his disciples, the harvest is great, but the workers are few. So pray to the Lord who is in charge of the harvest. Ask him to send more workers into his fields. I imagine that some of you will have heard this verse read in the past. Maybe it was at a special missions service as missionaries were being commissioned and sent away. And it certainly is a great passage to look at there. But while we can certainly read it that way, there is actually much more to it because the context paints this picture that Jesus hadn't gone to some far off land. He, hasn't, he hadn't traveled across the oceans and seen the need there and said, we need missionaries to come to this place. In fact, it tells us that he's ministering in the local towns and the villages and he sees illness. He sees sickness. He sees people that are lost and confused. He sees sheep without a shepherd, people who are vulnerable and they are helpless. And what does Matthew tell us? Matthew tells us that when he sees this, Jesus is moved with compassion. It is his heart that is moved with compassion. And into this he speaks. He says, the harvest is great, but the workers are few. So pray to the Lord who is in charge of the harvest. Ask him to send more workers into the fields, into these fields right here into the local towns and the villages. He doesn't say, put it on someone's heart, pray that God would put it on somebody else's heart to go out across the seas, although that is so significant. He sees the need and he is moved with compassion right where he is. And he says, disciples are needed. People who think differently, people who act differently, people who are not fiercely independent or individual, but people whose hearts are moved with compassion right here. And isn't that the radical message of discipleship? To be people who are different to the world, to be people who live different lives, to be people who are driven by compassion. And I wonder if we get to almost this natural point of saying, well, that's great. You know, Jesus taught these things. He did these things and he called for others to do them too. But what is it that I can do? What role do I actually have to play? You see, this is where we come to this idea, the P of the path, participating in God's story is that each one of us, when we encounter the saving grace of God, have a new mission in life. We have a new part to play. We have a new role. We have a new purpose. And so when we talk about service, it's so important that we make this key point that when we talk about practical things, about serving others and serving God with our hands and our resources and our abilities, we're not talking about the need to be good enough to please God. We're not talking about that at all. And Scripture makes 
that clear. We're actually talking about how we respond to the salvation that we have found in Jesus. And I want to make this point very briefly before we move into some practical ideas this morning. But you might know Ephesians 2, 8 to 10. It says this. It is actually it's an incredible snapshot of our salvation. And I would encourage you, if you don't know this passage, that you bookmark it, that you pull it up on your phone, that you screenshot it, that you memorize this, because it says God saved you by his grace when you believe. And you can't take credit for this. It is a gift from God. Salvation is not a reward for the good things we have done, so none of us can boast about it. What an incredible thing that is. It says that our salvation is a gift from God, not because of the things that we've done. But often we stop there, don't we? But the next verse says this, For we, for each one of us, is God's masterpiece. He has created us anew in Christ Jesus. Remember we said that when we discover the saving grace of God, that we are made anew, we have a new mission and a new plan, new purpose. But get the next bit, it says, so we can do the good things he has planned for us long ago. So God has saved you. He has made you his masterpiece. And he has good things for you, which he has planned in advance. Good things for you to do. I think sometimes in some church traditions, we can overcomplicate things. And we can almost start to uh, wait for God to supernaturally put something in front of us for us to do. We think, God, you've got good things in store for me to do, things that I can do with my resources and my abilities. So I'm just waiting for that sign, those flashing lights, for me to have those, those things that I can tick off in my life to say, that was the moment. That is what Paul was talking about in Ephesians. It was this. But I'd say that yeah, God will supernaturally position you at times in your life and put things in front of you that you can absolutely serve him in. But we are called to take practical steps today. We are called to take practical steps today. We aren't called to just wait around hoping for that one moment. God calls us to take practical steps today. And we see that as we follow the example of Jesus. What did he do? He saw need. His heart was filled with compassion and he did all he could to meet it. And that's the example that we are to follow. So you might recall in your booklets, and like I said, make sure you grab one if you haven't, there is this image in there. And what it says is that as we pursue growth in our Christian journey, as we pursue this path of discipleship, there are these steps that we need to take. And the first one is to discern. Where does, we need to discern the areas and the parts of our lives where we feel God is saying, uh, this is where you need to focus on growing right now. And I know some of you this week have already uh, considered and you've prayed and, and you've waited on the Holy Spirit to prompt in your heart where it is that you need to be focusing on intentional growth. But perhaps it's service. And I encourage you this week as you look at this discern to think, is service evident in my life? Is this actually a reality of my life? Is this a space I have been growing in and is there fruit from it? Can I see the result of the service in my life? Or God, is this something that you would have me focus on? The second part there you'll see is learn. And we do this by equipping ourselves. 
So maybe this message has helped you on that path of understanding this biblical narrative, this discipleship narrative around service, but there is so much more that you can do. And you'll find in, in the book a QR code that will take you to a bunch of suggestions. There's so many things, podcasts. There's a book that's listed in there, uh, which is called Generous Justice by Tim Keller. Um, and Tim Keller is an incredible writer, so you might like to have a look at that. But you, we need to then equip ourselves with the knowledge about what does God teach? What does he tell us through his word about service? What examples do I see in the lives of other Christians? In those people that I engage with, what examples do I see? Who can I speak with and learn from? The next part there is practice. And this is where a lot of us get bogged down. We do the discern, we do the learn, and then we kind of think, oh, I don't know what to do next. And this is this whole idea of having these path guides and having conversations in this community about it because we want to be people of action. We want to be people who pursue God, learn about him, but then act as disciples. And so this is confronting, but I'd encourage you, and there's actually a spot in the book where you can note down some practical steps that you are going to commit to taking. And so this week, it might be that as you learn, you start asking God to reveal areas of your life where you've become really inward looking, where you've become really individual, um, where you've become selfish, and ask him to start developing in your life and in your heart a selflessness. Perhaps this week you can take a practical step that as you walk past, maybe someone who's struggling um, on the footpath, maybe it is someone who's, who's homeless, maybe you could um, give them some money or you could buy them a meal or you could ask them how you can pray for them. What a confronting thing that is, but I tell you, it can be an incredible moment. Consider places in this world where you could advocate for injustice, where you could see injustice occurring and you could speak out. Maybe it's in your world and maybe it's in your, your um, work or your family or your neighborhood where you can start being a voice for justice and serving the oppressed. Maybe it's thinking of a family that you're connected with that could be in this church or it could be someone in the broader community who would be blessed by a meal this week or would be blessed by um, some money in their letterbox anonymously or would be blessed by um, you offering to mow their lawn or, or just practically serving them through a tough season. But I'd encourage you, there are so many more things. Again, in the path book, there's the QR code and you can scan that and there's lots of suggestions. But I encourage you, if this is an area where, where you feel God is calling you to grow, then Learn about it, but then take steps of action. Take small steps of action. We're going to close this morning. And as we do, there's this moment over in Matthew 25, right towards the end of Matthew's gospel. And Matthew, uh, Matthew writes of Jesus speaking prophetically about the second coming. You might know this um, part of Scripture, but he speaks of the response that will be received by those who have been faithful, those who have pursued Christ. And he says to them in verse 35 of, of Matthew 25, Jesus says, I was hungry and you fed me. I was thirsty and you gave me a drink. I was a stranger and you invited me into your home. I was naked and you gave me clothing. I was sick and you cared for me. I was in prison and you visited me. And perhaps um, you know the passage, but the, the, Jesus says the people at that time will reply and say, but, but Lord, when did we see you hungry and feed you? 
When did we see you thirsty and give you a drink? When did we show you hospitality when you're a stranger? And it goes on. And Jesus says this, it cuts right through to it. He says, I tell you the truth. When you did it to one of the least of these, my brothers and sisters, you were doing it to me. And you know what? As I was reflecting on that this week, you know, I I don't get a lot of things right. There's lots of the things that I get wrong. I feel myself probably just like you pulled towards self-sufficiency, stressing about the accumulation of super and, you know, all those things that you think about. Uh, Thinking about how, you know, in the middle of COVID, how we could get more toilet paper and get more canned things so that we were okay. We probably all felt ourselves pulled towards self-sufficiency and individualism. But you know what? I was thinking this week that when the day comes, when the day comes for me to meet my maker, oh, how much I hope he says to me, you were doing it to me. When you were serving other people, you were doing it to me. You saw the need, you had compassion and you served. And what an incredible thing that would be to you. Let me pray. Lord God, we thank you today for your word for the challenge that it presents to us. Lord God, for the truth that it speaks into our hearts. Lord God, for the fact that it calls us not just to know more, but rather it calls us to steps, active steps of discipleship, active steps of being people who follow and pursue you. And Lord, we pray this week that we would be a church of people who know how to serve, Lord God, that our hearts would not be hard, that they would not be cold, that we would not see need and turn away, but rather that there would be hearts within us, that when we see need, when we see people struggling, when we see injustice, Lord God, that we would be full of compassion. And Father, that we would do all that we can through the power of your Holy Spirit to meet those needs. And so, Lord, we pray that you'd be prompting in our hearts right now, particularly Holy Spirit, for those of us who you want us over this season to pursue this as our first step of growth, that you'd be reminding us of this, not just today, but tomorrow and on Tuesday and on Wednesday and on Thursday. Lord God, that you would make this a longing of our spirit so that we don't just hear it and are moved by it, but rather, Lord God, that we immerse ourselves in your word and your call to follow you. So Lord, we pray for that. And Lord, as we think about injustice, Father, we pray this morning for the people of Ukraine. Lord God, we pray for that conflict that is going on. Lord God, we pray uh, too for the churches. We know, Lord God, that they were really starting to flourish in this region. Father, we pray that you would equip those believers on the ground to be your hands and feet. Lord God, that they would do all that they can through the power of your Holy Spirit and through your protection to serve others. Lord God, we pray for a great outpouring of peace. Lord God, we pray for hearts to be changed. Lord, those those leaders who are making decisions, Lord God, that you you would intervene. Father, we pray for wisdom and we pray for courage. But Lord, we pray that there would be peace. Father, we think too this morning of those in our own country who are struggling this morning with with flooding and with lots of rain. And Lord, we just pray for your hand of protection. Lord, we pray, we think too of the emergency workers and those in the SES and the various other arms. 
Lord God, who are out serving. Lord, we pray for your hand of protection to be upon them. Lord God, make us a church that doesn't have our eyes down, but rather has our eyes up towards you. Father, that we would look to you, even in the most challenging of circumstances. Father, and trust in your goodness and your sovereignty. And so, Lord, we ask that this morning in Jesus' name.